It'd be great if everything we purchased lasted forever, but they break down. I was just telling Heidi, just probably took a, about a year, our TV died. Someone bought us a brand new TV for Christmas. It didn't even last a year, and it died. The cell phone that you purchased last year is now being replaced with a new phone. The laptop computer you bought five years ago, probably obsolete. The car you bought 10 years ago no longer has that new car smell. It has a different one. Everything that we buy, the moment we buy it, has already been deteriorating or is already outdated. So in this series that we're talking about Jesus and, we're going to talk about Jesus and treasure. It's interesting that the moment we say treasure, either we're going to think of a treasure box, like a pirate treasure box, R with the treasure in it, or some type of monetary value. But in the kingdom of God, everything is opposite. In the kingdom of God, treasure is not just referred to earthly things. Treasure is actually referred to eternal things. So how do we live a life with Jesus and what the Bible calls treasure? What does that look like? Well, when I was growing up, we, were, we would play sports, and if you got into if you were first place, second place, or third place, you received what? A trophy. That's what you got. So at the end of the year, they would let you know you placed first, second, or third, and you would get a trophy. Now, if you placed second or third, your trophy was smaller than the championship trophy. Now, when you're seven years old, eight years old, and you win the championship, your trophy is half your height. So it looks pretty big. Well, we got trophies, so we would put up our trophies in our house and we put it on our shelves because we want everyone to see our trophies. Nobody wins a trophy and then puts it under their bed. No, we put the trophy up where everybody can see. Why? So they ask us. So they ask us, hey, what is this from? Well, let me tell you. Let me, let me tell you I won this game. So we have these trophies so that we can let people know. So I had these trophies up, and as the, as the weeks went by, I would notice that there was dust on it. So what do we do with our trophies? We clean them. We polish them. We make them nice. We keep them brand new. We keep them looking what color? Gold, which I found out later was fake. Like when you're a kid, you think this is real. So as I continued to grow up, I no longer dusted them. I no longer polished them. In fact, they started to tarnish. After a while, I remember packing them up and putting them away and then eventually throwing them away. Now, the temporary trophy that I got didn't last too long. But do you know what lasted even longer? Is the memory of that championship. It's the memories of that game. It's the memories of that sport. It's the memories of the friends that I had playing with. It's the memories of the coach. It's the memories of where we played. It's all of those memories which will never tarnish. You see, that's the difference between temporary and eternal. Temporary things will tarnish. It'll fall apart. It'll rust. It'll decay. But eternal things, they don't. Now, nothing wrong with having trophies in your home. Nothing wrong with polishing them, putting them up for all to see. Nothing wrong with putting a nice size ulua that you caught for everyone to see. Nothing wrong with that. But I wonder if I wonder if we've forgotten that all the temporary things in this world never satisfies our soul. 
Sometimes we come up empty because we think that which is temporary is going to fulfill what is eternal. God has created us, us human beings, as eternal beings. That's why he created a place for us to end up when we pass away. Our flesh, our body, is temporary. These bodies are temporary. Just look in the mirror one day. You're going to see temporary. You're going to see tarnishing. You're going to see cracks. You're going to see dust. So those things, this is temporary. This body is temporary. But our soul is eternal. That's what God is looking for. That's why he calls the kingdom of God and likens it to treasure. And Jesus uses stories and uses the word treasure in it. Because the world will see treasure with a monetary value, but the Lord sees treasure with an eternal value. In the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, in fact, you can take out your notes if you were given a bulletin, and in there are some notes that you can follow along with us. And some of you use your church app, so you can take that out also. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul the Apostle is giving us that great exchange that took place with us getting to know Christ or coming to know Jesus Christ. And he states it like this. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I love the word rich. We like that word. We wish we were. But the word rich or even treasure or even poor is not talking about a, an, a monetary value, economics. It's something greater than that. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that was given to us, that word grace means that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, grace of speech, of the merciful kindness of God or by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ and keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, in knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. That's the grace of God. There is power that comes with the grace of God. The word rich that is being used here, it means to abound in Christian virtues and eternal possessions. It doesn't talk about money. It's talking about an eternal possession. See, there is much power that comes with God's grace it is divine. It is not humanly manufactured. God's grace is given to us. And every single person can learn the eternal value of the treasure Jesus is offering to us by understanding what Jesus means when it comes to true riches. If you want to take some notes, you want to write this in and remember this, that whatever Jesus does, whatever Jesus says, is always for our sake. Whatever he does, whatever he says is always for my sake. Always. He is always doing what's best for us. And sometimes we question the Bible, not in the way of trying to learn, but we question the Bible or what the Lord is trying to teach us rather than finding the true meaning of it or what he's trying to say or even its value. And so we, we question it or we put it on other people when something happens in our life or we blame God rather than seeking him. Because everything he does for us is always for our good. Everything he says in his word is always for our good. And sometimes we forget that. Some time ago when my son was probably four or six years old, I can't remember his age, my younger son Jordan, he's 23 now. Uh, he's very, 
uh, at a young age, we noticed that he was very uh, adventurous and risk-taking and fearless. So it was when we were swimming in a pool, like when he would swim, he didn't know how to swim yet, I would hold him, he would go under the water and just swim and just stay there. Now, I'm thinking, he needs to come up for air, but I don't know if he knows because he's under there for a long time. So I would grab him and pick him up. And as I'm pulling him, I can feel him pushing his body down, trying to keep his head in the water. And he's trying to stay under the water. And I bring him up and I said, you need to breathe. And then he goes, <gasps> and he puts his head under the water. So I let him go. After a while, I'm thinking, I'm not going to fight with you. So I'm just going to let you go. But it was too long. And I'm thinking, I don't even know if he knows what he's doing. So I'll pick him up. And same thing, he'll take another deep breath and then go under that's just the kind of mentality he had at an early age. Well, that was about two years old, maybe even less. Fast forward the tape to about four years old, five years old. We're on a trampoline, and he's doing these flips, and he's, you know, jumping all over the place. And then he jumped and mistimed or misread uh, the measurements, and he hit, his, hit the back of his head on the piping. And the padding just missed the piping. So he hit his head and screamed. So I came to him and I said, what, are you, what happened? I hit my head. So I checked his head and sure enough, it split. There was a, he needed to get stitches. So I, I thought, oh man, I got to take him to the hospital. So I said, Jordan, we're going to have to take you to the doctors. Now, the moment you say that to a little child, they're thinking, well, whatever they're thinking, they're scared. So I said, no, you're going to be okay. And I don't know if I helped as a dad. I said, we just have to sew it. <laughs> so <laughs> I think he's picturing the sewing machine in his head going underneath. I said, we just got to, we got to sew your head. So we went to the hospital, and when we got in there, of course, the nurse looks at it, and they clean it up, and she looks at me and says, yeah, we're going to have to put a couple stitches. So Jordan was fine at that point, but then she brought out the needle, and he saw that, and he said, what, 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 is, what is this for? And, and so I explained to him, I said, well, before they stitch it, before they close up the wound, we're going to have to numb your head, which I still think it's numb today. So we numbed it, and he screamed. And he says, no, and he's, trying, he's, he's moving. Now, the, the nurse is trying to numb it with the needle. Some of you are getting faint-hearted already, but she said, she looked at me, and she says, hold him. And I'm like, what? She goes, you're going to have to hold him. So I'm thinking, oh, boy. Now, as a parent, if you have ever gone through something like this, it's heartbreaking you got to hold down your child. So I'm hugging him, and I'm holding him, and I'm holding his head. So I'm holding him like this, and he's struggling. He said, Daddy, why are you doing this, Daddy? I'm like, it's not me. It's the nurse. It's not me. <laughs> Daddy, why are you doing this? So he's, and I'm holding him, and then he bites me. And I pick him. I said, don't you bite me. He goes, it hurts, you know. I said, I know it's hurt, but this is for your good which he doesn't understand. I'm saying, this is for your good. He's like, how is this for my good? So after a while, I have to, uh, now I'm, I'm holding him because he's going to bite me. I don't want him to bite me. Then I'm going to have to get stitches. Then I'm going to have to be the one going, it hurts, you know. So I didn't want to have that exchange. So I put him down. And as I'm holding him down, after a while, some minutes go by, I feel his body just relax. He has no more strength and no more tears. He can't fight anymore. And he's just relaxed. And then the nurse could finish up, stitch, him, stitch the wound, clean it up, put a bandage on it, and that was done. And then I could take him home. But he was fine after that. The healing process could take place. And then when everything was said and done, all he has now 
is a scar, which you can ask him about later when you see him. Although he has this scar, it's a memory, but it doesn't hurt anymore. Whatever Jesus says and does is always for our sake. Sometimes going through it, we fight with God. And sometimes going through whatever we go through, we, we don't understand what God is trying to do or trying to say or, or even in the season that we're in until we finally just surrender and let him do what he's going to do because everything he does is always for our sake. Otherwise, if we continue to fight with God, then how will we learn what he's trying to do because everything he does is always for our sake. Here's what happens with this one man who came to Jesus, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. It tells us when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Did you know that Jesus is always willing to make us clean? He is always willing. The question is, am I willing to receive? Or do I just hang on to what I want rather than to let it go so that I can be free to receive from God? See, the man could have come to Jesus with a complaining spirit, couldn't he? He, he could have come to Jesus and said, why did this happen to me? You did this. You created me. Why did this happen to me? He could have come to Jesus and say, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? Did I sin? Why is this happening? But he came to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. Because he is. And he said, be clean. And immediately the man was clean. For some of us, we just want what we want. And we hang on to what we want. But we will never be able to receive anything from God if we're hanging on to what we want. And sometimes we need to let go of what we want so that we can receive what we actually need. And whenever God gives us those moments of making those decisions, know that He will be there sustaining us even through those times where we don't know what's going to happen. Because His timing is the best timing. His, his timing is way better than our timing. For some of us, we've been praying for this, praying for a job, praying for finances, praying for our spouse, praying for our children, and we're asking God, when is this going to happen? Why isn't it happening? Well, everything he says and everything he does is always for our sake, even the timing of it. He knows perfectly well what needs to happen so long as we stay close to him. Once we stray from him and we try to do things on our own, we miss the true riches that he was talking about, that he became poor that we might find the true riches through his poverty, that he gave up everything so that we could have everything because he is always willing to do what's best for us. See, we have a hard time in understanding what being rich is when it comes to the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is actually a kingdom of opposites. Here's what you want to write in number two if you want to take some notes. When I exchange my treasure for his, I actually gain more. That's the... That's the, the opposites with the kingdom of God and, and our world, is when I exchange my treasure for his, I gain more. There's more to gain. See, the, the kingdom of God being opposite says, 
If you want to be first, you need to be last. If you want to be great, you need to become a servant. If you want great faith, become like a little child. So everything is opposite. So when we come to our faith in Christ, we need to learn to unlearn the things of the world. Everything we've been learning in the world needs to be unlearned so that we can learn the kingdom way. Because what we see as valuable, sometimes in the kingdom is not valuable. And that which doesn't look that valuable in the kingdom, it is. I was watching this movie. I, I like sci-fi action kind of movies. Not too sci-fi-ish. It's, sometimes it's way off. But um, I, I, I like action sci-fi type of movies. And I was watching this one movie that there was a, a, a man who had the ability to use his mind and this machine that they made to time travel. And they used him to do certain things, but something went wrong, so there was a corrupt agency that he, need, he needed to figure out what's going on. Well, as he's running away from these guys, he, he gets a package at work, and he, he's at the front desk, and he receives this package, and he opens it up, and there are some odd items, some useless items, like a paper clip, like a, a magnifying glass. There's, there's a, like a, a lighter in there, some hairspray, and just these odd items, a quarter. So he's looking at these items, and he's like, this is, a, this is worthless. So he asked the receptionist, well, who mailed this to me? Well, she checks who mailed it, who dropped it off, and, and the, the, the time it was dropped off, and who it was. And she said, um, you did. And so he says, okay, thank you. Now, she doesn't know all of these other things with time travel. So he goes to his room, and he's thinking, why would I give myself these items? Well, the bad agents come in, and then they take him, and they hold him as a prisoner in their room trying to interrogate him along with these items. And as they're interrogating him, he notices that the items can help him. And he uses those items to escape and then eventually to, I guess, figure everything out. Those items were worthless until he was able to figure out what they were to be used for. In the kingdom of God, some things that we do may seem like there are no, there's no eternal value to it. The way we love one another the kindness that we have towards each other, building up our relationship with one another, our spouse, our family, certain key things like that. We may not think of the eternal value that they represent because it's, it's not in what we have, it's how we use what we have. That's the kingdom of God perspective. It's whatever he gives to us. It may not seem like there's that much value, but when it's used for him, now there's eternal value. And so now you may have an ordinary gift, an ordinary skill. Maybe it's, it's your gift to God. Maybe when you give to God, you, you, you may have come to a place where you're going through the motions and you've forgotten the eternal value that comes with what we give to God and how we utilize our talents and skills for Him. But now you have a purpose. And now it becomes that much more valuable with what He has given to you. Otherwise, we think we're going to have to do more in the world so that we could have more. But again, in the kingdom of God, it is, it's actually opposite. In Mark chapter 8, verses 35 through 37, it tells us, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will, will a man give in exchange for his soul? I remember reading this scripture some time ago and and it was about the time I was learning how to give to God, how to serve God, how to balance out my time with my family. Uh, at the same time, trying to work and make a living and then have some savings. And so everything was just so difficult because I didn't understand the kingdom of God and His ways. And then when they would pray for the tithes and offerings, I said, I, don't, I can't because I need this. And the moment I began to let the old ways go, and I started to say, Lord, teach me your ways, those were the moments that I was able to trust God more in, especially in the area of me tithing. Now, I'm saying this for me. I'm giving you my story. I'm not telling you you need to do this, but this is what I learned through this area of tithing, that I used to give according to what I felt I could. And so when I would give to God, I would think, okay, this is this is what I think I can. And I started small because that was my faith. I didn't, I didn't trust God. I didn't know how this worked. So I, I just said, Lord, I, I don't know. I, I, I felt like if I give small, if anything went bad, I don't lose anything. But if I give more, if I tithe, which was 10% of my income, if I tithe and then things went bad, how am I going to take care of my family? So I was struggling with that, and then I began to realize that I was actually opposite, because the kingdom of God is opposite. I was giving according to my small faith. God said this, how about you give in obedience to me, and then as is your giving, so will be your faith. The other way, the, the, the way I was doing it was, here's my faith, Lord. Here's my giving. Which in exchange, never grew my faith. I never could grow my faith that way because this was, it was safe and it was controlling for me. It was, I, I could control that. But then when I learned about the blessings of tithing and giving God 10%, believe me, that was a stretch for Heidi and I. We made the decision to put God first in the finances and we said before we pay anything, we're going to give God 10% because the Bible promises that he will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing so much that we wouldn't even be able to contain it. So we started doing that and kept doing that. And as we kept doing that, so came our faith. And we never stopped. Why? Because he's faithful. Everything he does and says is for our sake. Because the way the kingdom of God works is actually opposite in our world. It's 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 our exchange for his treasure, and we gain more in the process. And when we gain more, it's not about the finances. There's so much more that we gain. The Bible tells us in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what happens? All these things will be added unto you. That's what he does. The kingdom of God is so different than our ordinary world. And he says, when you trust me, when you serve me, when you when you read my word and when you apply it in your life, that's where the blessings are. You seek first my kingdom, then everything else will be added. All the struggles, all the, all the stress moments that we have probably is 
because we're not seeking first the kingdom of God. And we want to know, Lord, what, what does that look like? What does the kingdom of God look like? What does it mean to put you first? Does that mean we have to come to church every week? How, how does this work? Well, here's your last point you can write in, that the greatest treasure is found in Jesus. It is very simple. It is found in Jesus. That is the greatest treasure. It is found in Christ. See, I tried the other way. Many of us have tried the other way. We've tried following our own ways. We've tried blending in with people. Because our friends aren't doing this, we kind of blend in with them. We don't want to say anything. We don't want to be labeled that person. So we, we try to blend in and play it safe with everyone. And so we don't want no one to know we're a believer. So we, we just try to do good things but not be a Christian where people can visibly see that. So we, we kind of play that a little bit. And it's almost like after a while we've forgotten that the true treasure is in Jesus. Nothing in this world will give us that eternal value. Jesus does. That's why he's the true treasure. When Heidi and I were making money and, and we had things and we bought things, if I look at that season, we actually had nothing. It was empty. We, we bought the cars. We bought the, the sound systems. We bought the, uh, the, the nice things. We got jewelry, good TV, all of these. We bought these things, but now I, look, I don't even own any of them now, Amen. those original ones. It, it's gone. Now, nothing wrong with sound system and getting things, but really my mentality was I thought that would bring me happiness. When I'm depressed, I go shopping rather than turn to Jesus. So I buy things because I think that's what it's going to satisfy my soul, but in the end... I have nothing. These things rust, they decay, they break, they rip, people take it, gets you know, messed up in the washing machine, gum gets stuck on it, anything can happen, and we get more frustrated because we think those things are going to add to us eternal value and make us feel more valuable, but that's not the true treasure. That's not the riches that Jesus is bringing to us or offering to us. It is himself. He is the true treasure. He is the riches that he is exchanging to us and exchanging for a life with him so when we were going through this season i thought well I, then with all of this stuff that we buy i i had to come to a place where i started to ask the lord well then how do you give me a greater purpose where do i go from here and he actually told me you need to develop a mission statement for your life so if you have never developed a mission statement for your life i want to encourage you to do so to develop a mission statement. And a mission statement says what your mission is. It might start off as a paragraph. Narrow it down to a mission statement. Some companies do this so that they can stay on goal, so that they can stay on task, so that they are, they're crystal clear in the direction that they're going. Same thing with our life. Your life mission statement or your life statement as it were. So for myself, I narrowed it down to this. Very simple. To release the dreams in others starting with my own family. It's very simple release the dreams in others starting with my own family so everything i do must include that it, it must have it there and so after a while because this could guide me could help me then my relationship with god could be better it could change something that ha might help you and this helped me tremendously was a simple way of starting my mission statement my life statement because i needed to find out what are the true treasures that the kingdom of God is talking about. So I'm going to put this in order in how we prioritize when it comes to the treasures that God gives to us, the true riches. 
And it, it starts with this. It starts with my relationship with God. So God must be first in my life to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else can be added. In other words, if I'm searching for something else to be first, everything will be out of sorts. My whole life will be out of sorts. But if I seek God first, then he gives me the wisdom. He gives us his plans, and he helps us along the way. So for Heidi and I, we made it a decision to say we are going to attend church every Sunday. Every Sunday, yep. Every Sunday, yep. Even football season, absolutely. Otherwise, my team would lose. I'm just joking. It, it doesn't matter. It was, I'm going to, but if your team lose, that's just because the team lost. So I'm thinking, I, I want to dedicate my life to the Lord. And the reason why I said church, for Heidi and I, the reason why we said church is because that's where God's word was being spoken. And that's where we were learning together. That's where, that's where the family of God was that could help us, that we could glean from each other, that we could pray for one another, ask each other advice in a setting that points everyone to Jesus. So for Heidi and I, it had to be God, and we had to make those decisions. Even when we travel, we, we need to find a church so that we can be a part of the body of Christ, so that we can attend. There are times when we traveled, and because of the layover, we miss a Sunday morning or Saturday night, we jump online, and then together we can watch the service, at least get in something. But that was our decision with God. We were saying, God, we're going to put you first. And then the second thing for myself was... Heidi. Heidi is my wife. You don't put Heidi in there. You put spouse. So for you, it would be God, your spouse, and then if you want to treat her nice, that's fine, and be kind. That's good. But for, for myself, it was God first, and then Heidi was second. Heidi can look at this and say, how come I'm not first? I thought I was the lawyer of your life. She doesn't talk like that. I don't know why I'm even <laughs> imitating you like that. <laughs> how, come she, how come I'm not first? Well, in order for me to love Heidi... I will need God's love because she's not easy to love. <laughs> just joking, just joking, sweetheart, I love you. That's how I talk. But realistically, we need God's love to love one another. Easy to love people when they're easy to get along with. That's why we need God's love because we're all human beings. So we need his love, his grace, his kindness, his mercy, his forgiveness so that we can in our marriages, be successful. We need him for our marriage. And then I have two children, Justin and Jordan. When Justin was young, very easy, easy baby. Jordan, much more difficult. We said we're done. So we have only two boys. Now they're grown up, but at, in this season, it was God first, Heidi, and then my children. Now, my children could look at this and say, oh, Dad, how come I third place? How come I'm not here? Jordan would say, Dad, I should be right above Justin. That's where it should be. Justin would say, no, 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 you're in the right place. So we could look at this, but really they're all together, number three, just in case they watch later. The reason why I need to have God first and then Heidi is because the greatest thing you can do for your children is not spoil them, it's love their mother. The greatest thing you can do as a wife for your children is love their father. Now, there may be a situation where the family has broken, and I can understand that, but at least there's still respect there. You can still work on that respect. And sometimes it's very difficult. Well, what you can do then is in, with your children, 
start to show them God. Because if there was something that went bad in the relationship, you want to point them to God. If maybe the, one of the parents may not be good for them right now, just point them to God. Because God will minister to them so that they can develop a heart just like God's rather than one that is bitter if things fell apart. That's why God needs to be first. Because we will mess up. But he never does. And then the last one is job or career, whatever you want to say. And then number five, is ministry. Sometimes we think ministry is God first. And it can be a part of it, but if we're not careful, we can become misaligned. I think some of you are still writing, so I'm going to let you finish it. Okay, we're good. Uh, you can say, but I'm serving God, so I'm in ministry, but what happens is we become unbalanced. Here's the fulcrum. And so this is ministry, and it, be, it became so heavy now on the family, and the family suffers. So we need to find the balance, and the way we do that to bring the balance is instead of saying, well, I need to jump over here. Well, now too much of my family. I need to serve here. It's really moving the fulcrum, which is our heart. So our heart towards our family and our heart towards ministry, you can balance that out. For Heidi and I, when I found myself being too involved in ministry, instead of me just jumping out of ministry, I said, well, how can I still be there with my family? How do I do that? So I had to look for opportunities. One of them was Heidi and I have a date night every single week, and we still have date nights. Sometimes we have to switch the night because certain things come up, but we have a date night or a date day. For my children, when they were younger, I would do my very best to, even when I came home late, to tuck them in, tell them a bedtime story play with them, do something with them. And I remember being dead tired sometimes, just so tired. And, and, and then remember, I remember thinking this to myself, the next five minutes will be worth the next five years. As dead tired as I am, Jordan wants to play with me. Justin wants to play with me. As dead tired as I am, this will be worth it. Now he's... Justin is 29 years old. Jordan is 23. I can tell you, if you're in that season and you're feeling just worn out, dead, tired, and your child wants to play with you and you're just dead tired, ask God for a renewed strength for the true riches that will be greater than just the five minutes that you gave. Your children will remember that for all of eternity. The five minutes is temporary. How you love them in those five minutes that's eternal. That's what Jesus wants us to remember. That's the true riches that he wants to bring to us. Matthew 6, 21 tells us for where your treasure is. Let's read this part together. Ready? Go. There your heart will be also. Whatever you want God to bless, you put him first in. Whatever you want him to bless, you put him first in. Because Jesus is the treasure and he will never let us down. And he will always do what's best for us, even when we don't see it. Amen. You can put your Bibles away and your notes. Some of you are um, baseball fans. How many baseball fans? You just like baseball. Okay, you understand the game a little bit. Uh, right now is the postseason, so some of your teams are in, some of your teams are out. That's okay. You will understand this. There is a thing in baseball that has to do with what is called a pinch runner. Now, a pinch runner, a pinch runner 
comes in when the coach sees someone who might have gotten a base hit, they'll go on base, and the coach will say, you're faster than that guy, so I need you to go on his base. And so then they make an exchange, which is pretty interesting. In other words, that person might be considered slow, might not be able to run the bases as fast as they should, might make a mistake along the way. Who knows? But the coach saw what was best. And I thought, wouldn't that be great to have a pinch runner in life? That you're grumbling with your wife, you just look at her and go, <laughs> pinch runner comes in and just finishes it up. You go golfing, you come back. Okay, we go tag out and, oh, I love you, honey. I, I forgive you. And then you make it. Wouldn't it be great to have a pinch runner in life? Wouldn't it be great that, that you may be on the verge of making a mistake and then you see it and it's like, ooh, that's going to be painful. Pinch runner. Pinch runner comes in, takes the hit. You come back in. Okay, we're done. They come back in and, ah, I feel good. Bad mistake, didn't feel the pain, but I learned from it. It'd be great to have a pinch runner. Well, we do make mistakes in life, and yes, we will grumble with one another, and yes, we will sin. But here's what's beautiful about the pinch runner. The pinch runner comes on base. You go out into the dugout. And you watch the pinch runner. When the next person hits, that pinch runner will run for you. And when they come home, they score, but they get all the glory. On the big screen, raising their hands, and everybody's like, yay! But even though that person gets the glory, you, as the team, the entire team, wins. Jesus is our pinch runner. When we couldn't, when we have no more, when we cannot see, when we have no faith, when we feel bruised, broken, devalued, lost, torn, like a failure, God the coach turns to Jesus and says, come. Jesus stands in our place. We are removed. He goes through the bases for us, but then gets all the glory. But in the end, we all win because Jesus is the ultimate treasure. No matter where we've been, no matter where we've gone, he stepped in for us so that we could find once again our eternal value. Amen. We bow our heads for a moment as we pray. Lord, you have given us who you are. You you gave us a future. That it is the grace of God through Jesus Christ that though, Lord, you were rich, yet for our sake you became poor. That all of us, through your poverty, we might become rich richer in our families, richer in the way we think, richer in the way we are kind to people, how we love people, richer in our eternal value, richer in everyday situations that we may not see you working in, but that when we give it to you, when we give our situations to you, even our shortcomings, that you're able to utilize that and bring eternal value to it. Lord, in whatever way you're going to teach us, because we all learn differently, 
you are willing. And we are willing, Lord, to receive. So teach us to become more like you as you create in us and release the God-given potential that you first gave us. Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning and you might be here and you're saying, I want that exchange. I, I want that exchange, my life for the life of Christ, but I don't know how to. If you're here today and you're saying, I want Jesus in my life, could you just raise a hand? And you're, what you're saying is, I want salvation. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want to put God first in my life, but I need Jesus in my life and I want to give him my heart, okay? Yeah, God sees you, okay? Right here, God sees you, both of you, right here. Okay, right here. God sees your hand, but he hears your prayers. Back there, God sees you, right here, right here. You can put your hands down. Lord, all of us, we need you. As we pray this prayer together, as I say these words and you repeat after me, you can include the heart and just remember the grace of our Lord. Let's pray this together, especially for those who are saying yes to Jesus this morning for the first time. Here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean and make me brand new. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to give me eternal life. And so I thank you for showing me the true riches of heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said together, amen.